Hey everybody, great to see you. Uh, my name's Pastor Nick. Uh, I'm on team here at BCC. And just one thing just to say right from the beginning, uh, you will have got one of these uh, registration cards in your pack when you came in. If you manage to get in without filling this in and handing it in when you came in, please do fill that in still and give it in on your way out. Uh, that'd be good. That's that registration card. Most of you have done that. Uh, but just to say, if you haven't yet done that, uh, that's ever such a help. Thank you for that. Uh, so it's the, fir- the third and final session. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling the pinch of lunch. Anyone else in the room with me? So I'm going to make this crisp and effective and you're going to hear great stuff. And then we're going to go and get some lunch. How does that sound? Sound all right? Great stuff. Um, yeah, so I'm a discipleship pastor here at BCC, and uh, uh, this session is particularly close to my heart because it's all about follow-up and starting effective discipleship with new Christians. So in part one, we looked at how to live, and that was Pastor Mark, and he talked us uh, through all of that. Part two was Leon, how to share the gospel with others. And part three is how to care for new Christians, how we care for new Christians, okay? Um, Who knows that once you have led someone to Jesus, the job is not yet over, is it? In fact, there's a great case to say that the job has only just begun. Uh, Jesus said, go and make disciples. But not too many of us do that bit. Or if we do it, we don't do it so well. Not through lack of heart, we just kind of don't know what to do. Now, discipleship is demonstrated to us by Jesus himself. Uh, He modeled to his disciples what to be like. He taught them. He uh, spent time with them. He demonstrated what it was like to be a person who does what God asks. And then he sent them out, and they had a go at it, and they ministered to people, and then they came back and reported to him. And then ultimately, Jesus released them to go and be discipling uh, to other people for themselves. And that's discipleship. Discipleship is when you copy what Jesus does. That's the bottom line of what discipleship is. So when you copy what Jesus does, and then you lead other people to copy what Jesus does, in their t- or what Jesus will do in their turn, so that they're doing what Jesus does too. Jesus didn't say at the end of uh, Matthew, go and evangelize and one day you'll see them in heaven. He didn't say that. He said, go and make disciples. And I want you to understand something this morning, that discipleship and evangelism are two sides of the same coin. Evangelism is the process by which people get introduced to Jesus, and discipleship is the process by which the relationship they have with Jesus gets built and built and built from there on in. Does that make sense? So evangelism is the introduction, discipleship uh, is the ongoing relationship, and you can't have one without the other. They need to be both together. Now, We see an excellent example of this with a guy in the New Testament who actually doesn't have much press, really. Uh, So it's kind of he's kind of an unusual example to bring out. But it's a guy called Andrew, Uh, and what Andrew, what the Bible tells us is that Andrew met Jesus, and the very first thing he did after meeting Jesus was he goes off and finds his brother Simon Peter, and then introduces Simon Peter to Jesus. And that that illustrates the main way that evangelism works. Andrew invites his brother Simon, and together they go and meet Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine a scenario. There's like a married couple. They're living and working in a city. They've never met, met with Jesus. They've never followed Jesus. They've never been to church. They don't know anything about God. They are not going to wake up one morning and go, oh, let's look on Eventbrite and find an evangelist and go and listen to that evangelist. Are they going to do that? No, they're not. Now, 
I will grant you that in very special circumstances, if revival is breaking out, God has the power to stir people in their spirit to turn up to church. That can happen. But we're not quite in that yet, although we're praying for it. And actually, that's a pretty rare thing to happen. People come and listen to somebody coming and uh, doing a talk like an evangelist because they got invited by somebody. Somebody invited them along, someone they trust, a member of their family, uh, perhaps a friend. And what I want you to do is to have a look in your packs uh, for, for this here. It's the I Am Andrew card. Take this out of your pack. It's got on one side, I Am Andrew. Take a look in your pack there. And on the other side, it's got four steps of how you share your faith with a friend. This is a card that can help you be very intentional about rescuing people. Now, the statement, I am Andrew, is designed to provoke you. We're not all Andrew, unless any actual Andrews in the house today. Any Andrews at all? Oh, no, oh, yeah, so we have an Andrew. Okay, but we're not all Andrew. But the, what the point of the statement is, is, listen, be like Andrew in being willing to draw people near to Jesus. If you have met Jesus, then introduce your friends, just like Andrew did, to who Jesus is. And then if we get that kind of uh, enthusiasm and that mentality to share Jesus with our friends, then we become just like Andrew. So on the back, there are some steps that you can take. The first step is to pray. And it says there, uh, write down the name of at least one person. And there's a little line there at the bottom. And you can make that three people if you want to. Or you can take some more cards before you go home. But make sure that there's one person on there. Uh, one person you know who needs Jesus. And then pray each day for him or her. Ask God to open their heart and give you opportunities to share his love with them. It starts with praying for people. It absolutely does. You don't need to do anything yet except pray, identify the person, and pray about them before God. Okay? God will start doing his thing in the background, but you've done your thing in terms of praying. The second step is to share with them about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. So spend time with your friend. Uh, it, it says there it can deepen your friendship and create a chance to discuss Christ. Begin to talk to your friend about attending the event with you. Now, that event for Birmingham is on Wednesday, the 17th of June, at the NIA, which is only like a short walk from here, in the Birmingham Arena, uh, so that you can start to remember that event and be thinking about that. But this principle applies to any event you might want to invite a friend to. Let me, let me share something with you, though. You cannot invite someone cold without any kind of relationship there or nothing in the bank with them. You know, when I first was kind of exploring the idea of Christianity, uh, my uh, wife, Chloe, uh, invited me on an Alpha course, but she did that after she came to something that I was attending. Now, I'll tell you a little bit more about those courses I was attending later in a story a bit later on and, and how that played itself out. But she said, you know what, I'm going to step into Nick's world a bit, spend a bit of time with him there, and then later down the line, I've got credit in the bank, spiritually speaking, to be able to invite Nick along to something that he'll come to. And so, of course, when she did invite me to the Alpha course, as it was, it was totally natural. In fact, it would have been rude not to go because she'd stepped into my world. So, of course, like it's just natural for you to step into their world. And that's a great principle. This one here, share, it's going to be less effective if you've spent less time with that person. You need to get to know them. You need to have a bit of an interaction, a bit of a relationship going. It's quite hard to do a cold invite, isn't it? Okay. So the next thing would be to bring. Let's do the bring. Let's bring people along. It says there on the card, uh, bring your friend to the event. Um, 
if he or she responds to, the, uh, to Christ or shows an interest in the gospel, they will still need your ongoing encouragement. Uh, they may respond at the event, and you'll be delighted. Don't let, let it hang there. Uh, continue to walk alongside them in, the, in that journey. Imagine you've planted a seed, and then there's like a little seedling faith there. You wouldn't want to just walk away from that. And then the last thing there on that card, on the I Am Andrew card, is follow-up. Invite them to church with you so God can use you and your church to bring them into a deepening relationship with Jesus. So you've got a friend at work, you've connected with them, you're sharing with them, you've perhaps given them your testimony, you've talked about what Jesus has done in your life, you've invited them along to the big event in the summer, they've come, and praise God, they've decided to start following Jesus, and then you're walking alongside them and you're following up with them. Okay? Is that all kind of understandable so far? You're all with me, yeah? Okay, something that you need to understand is that 80% of people who respond to the good news of Jesus were brought by a person they know. They were brought to that event by a friend or a family member. It's very rare for somebody to just pitch up to an event cold on their own. And in that 80%, three quarters of those people actually traveled to the event with their friend. That's quite significant. Think about that for a moment. Like if you're going to invite someone, don't just do the, hey, I'll see you there at gate B at 10 a.m. or whatever it is. Don't do that. Say, hey, listen, why don't we travel together? I'll come and pick you up. Or let's meet at this train station together. Let's go together. That's a highly effective thing because they're feeling much more comfortable that you're going to help them through any difficulties with the journey. You can chat on the way there. You can chat on the way back. That's a really key little tip for you. Okay. Something else I want to say here too is don't just be making friends with the sole agenda of evangelism. That's really important. People were sent straight away that you are their kind of project. They'll smell it on you, and they'll run a mile. They'll feel disappointed, and they'll feel let down if you then cease to be friends because your project hasn't worked out. It's not authentic, is it? And besides, it might take them quite a number of years to come to Jesus. And are you just going to hang your friendship based on their decision, which is actually between them and, and God and down to their free will? Here's the thing. Make friends because you like people. That's your foundational position, isn't it? And continue to be friends with people no matter what their decision is. If their decision is for Jesus, we're there to encourage them. And if their decision is still pending for ages, we're to remain trustful that the seed of the gospel of the good news of Jesus has gone in and it's waiting there, waiting to germinate, taking some time. Um, We also need to bear in mind the parable of the soils teaches that sometimes the seed that gets sown on one occasion just doesn't work because the ground is not right yet. We know that, don't we? But praise God, the farmer goes out every year and he does the process again, doesn't he? That was an insight for me once when I read the parable of the four soils. I was thinking like, wow, gosh, that's that's it. You know, we've we've had it. The the farmer's been and gone, (laughs) you know. I fell on the rocky path and now I'm done for. Well, no, not really. The farmer does this every year. In and out, in and out. And there'll be chances for that ground to be better another time. Yeah? So what I want you to do, you can either do this now, or you can do it a little bit later on. Take a moment at least to think of the person that you would really like to kind of, okay, I can envisage praying for this person, sharing with this person, telling them about the event, bringing them along, and then also walking alongside them a little bit if Praise God, they get to that point where they make that decision. Just take a moment, just quietly uh, to, in your space, on your chair. And if you want to, write down that name on the card now even. Or take a, a day or two to think about who that might be and ask the Spirit to show you 
who it is you should pray for. So it's pray, bring, share, and follow up. I'm going to show you a little film now all about somebody who started following Jesus and then they behaved just like Andrew did. When I was about 15, somebody invited me to a Billy Graham event. I remember being so convicted by Billy Graham and what he said. I hadn't heard people talk about Jesus in that way before. It had such a huge impact on me that I gave my life to the Lord at that point. I heard about the Blackpool Festival through working as a radio presenter on Cornerstone Christian Radio. I had two shows per week. We encouraged people to come along and be an Andrew. As people engage with the I Am Andrew program is the fact that you begin to say, okay, here are the people that I need to pray for. Here are the people that I know they don't have that hope of salvation. And they begin to just day in, day out, begin to pray and look for opportunity to be able to share their faith with them. I took I Am an Andrew on board by asking the whole of my family to come to the festival. The heart of the festival is the I Am Andrew. That's the personal evangelism. This is the focus of what the festival is all about. People don't really feel that they can share their faith. They don't really feel that people are interested in the gospel. But when they get just intentional about praying for people and saying, how many can I bring along to a Christian event? They start to realize, actually, people want to hear the gospel. People want to know Jesus. And people's lives are changed in the process forever. Prior to the event, my family knew about Jesus, but they didn't know him personally. I invited my entire family to the festival and nine people came and out of that six people prayed the prayer of salvation. So the seeds of the gospel have now been planted in my family's hearts. It made me feel absolutely thrilled to see that. If somebody had given me a billion pounds, I couldn't have been happier. I felt that the Lord had answered my prayers. I was just ecstatic. You know, when someone we've been praying for and hoping uh, comes to Jesus, it's such a buzz, such a great thing. Don't lose sight of that. It's really, really a great thing. So how does follow-up work? So if you turn to page 68 uh, in your little Christian Life and Witness book, there's a definition of what follow-up is and what we mean by that. Uh, And this is important. Follow-up's been defined, says there on page 68, as the process of giving continued attention to a new Christian until she's integrated, or he is integrated, into the church, discovers a place of service, develops his or her potential for Jesus, and starts helping to build Christ's church. That's what follow-up should result in and look like. Now, there's no better example, in my opinion, from the New Testament of someone who built church than Paul. Paul was uh, an, absolute, an absolute pace setter when it came to building church. Uh, he was an apostle and he went around and he planted churches and he built churches all the time. And his strategies were really effective and uh, they were effective in his time and they still work today. And uh, what I wanted to do is to uh, take you through five of Paul's strategies, just really briefly up on the screen here. So the first thing that we can see Paul did was he, he gave himself. 
He gave himself. At 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says this, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And Paul's saying he's sharing his life. Discipleship of people flows from a place of really wanting them to see, to see them grow and to see them develop. So let's have a quick show of hands here. Who's parents here in the room? Anyone a parent? Just pop your hand up if you're a parent. That's great. Um, anyone here had a parent? Yeah, you've all had a parent, I take. Yeah, great. Okay, so all of us at some stage or another were parented and many of us have our parents now. Parenting is a sacrifice, isn't it? It's a lot of work. To be honest with you, I had no idea about tiredness or hard work until I became a parent. That completely changed everything for me. Um, You have to be able to set aside your own needs and, and sacrifice for the sake of that child that you are raising so that they can grow. You just have to. Babies have needs. And we just have to respond to those needs. There's no kind of getting around that. And that's kind of the attitude I want us to try and adopt out of today with the sense of what does it mean to disciple somebody? And it won't happen if we have an attitude of, well, I just don't want to get involved. On the other side, of course, yes, there's lots of hard work and there's lots of digging deep and late nights and all that stuff. But you can look back on some of those days, particularly when they were really young, with a real sense of pride and that sense of, Yeah, they gave me a lot of joy uh, in those early years, and they still do. So it takes time and work and commitment to raise children, but it is so worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And if we take that view with those disciples that we're leading into that relationship with Jesus, it will be so worth it for us as well. You You get to help shape a life for the better. For me, there's no greater privilege that you had an influence for somebody. I think that's awesome. That's why I'm a discipleship pastor. That's a great privilege, and I treat it that way. Secondly, Paul prayed for them. Oops. Paul prayed for them. It says he prayed night and day. 1 Thessalonians 3.10 says, As we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. It wasn't just praying occasionally. It wasn't just ad hoc as we thought about it. It was quite intentional prayer. Twice a day, it seems. And so your I am Andrew prayers, you know, the the kind of praying you're doing off this card here that we talked about a moment ago, here's the thing, that needs to increase after you become a Christian, not decline. And I know we're here today talking about evangelism primarily, but actually that discipleship process, it needs more prayer, not less in some ways. So move the finish line a little bit in your evangelism strategy. Don't just end it at the event when they commit their hearts to Jesus. Take it a little bit further than that. And here's the logic for that. If a newborn came back with you from the hospital, you would not leave that newborn with a can opener and some microwave meals and disappear on holiday, would you? No, you wouldn't. In fact, you'd be done for neglect. That's not going to work. And actually, sometimes in church, as Christians uh, and as churches, we can be a little bit guilty of that kind of spiritual neglect. Someone arrives through the door, they give their heart to Jesus, and then we're not watching it and keeping on top of that nurturing that they need. Third thing that Paul did was that he sent others. He sent others. And that's really key. So 1 Thessalonians 3, 2 says this. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. And think of the different people that get mentioned, particularly in the book of Acts and in some of the letters. You've got Timothy. You've got Titus. You've got Silas. You've got Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts. Paul sent a lot of these people. 
because he couldn't always be there himself for those new believers. Um, what he did do was he sent people that he had invested in and he had a relationship with and that they went on his behalf. And that was just as effective. Um, I don't know about you, but if you ever read through the book of Acts, it seems like a sequence of sermons and uproar and revival, doesn't it? Paul arrives in town. He says some radical things about Jesus. Everyone gets really upset. There's a, there's a riot. Somebody gets beaten. And then some, loads of people decide to follow Jesus. I was reading the other day, there was a guy in, the, uh, in, in Acts called Sosthenes, and for some reason, the crowd just give him a beating. He's just standing in the way. And I was like, oh, that's a bit unfair. Uh, but loads of people became Christians as well, and there was people put in prison. It seems to be lots and lots of upheaval. But the deal was Paul had to sometimes get away quickly for fear of his life and to go on to the next town. What does that mean? It means that he had to then send people who could then go and kind of do a bit of mop up and follow up and be with those people. So sending someone else to encourage a person is a great idea. What I'm saying is Paul never left discipleship to chance. He had a plan. And that's what us training you today is all about. We want for you to be some of those kind of Timothys and Tituses and Lukes and Silases who can go out and do this stuff. And that's what this training is all about. Jesus equipped his disciples to disciple others. And think about this for a moment. You're all sitting here today as a result of lots and lots of decisions probably originated somewhere if you trace it all the way back through and you were able to look through history with one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. If you think about it, because that has to have its spiritual ancestry in those times. You've received your faith from someone you know, behind you and behind them and behind them all the way through history. And it might have been several composite different elements. Maybe it wasn't just one person. I'm very grateful to Chloe for encouraging me to come to church. I'm very grateful to Pastor Mark for all of his discipleship of me uh, along the years. I'm grateful to the Christians who've written fantastic books that have really encouraged me. It's a composite thing, but we all owe our ancestry spiritually to Jesus and those original 12 disciples bothering to get out of their comfort zone and come and speak to us. So, uh, number four, Paul wrote letters. This might be really obvious to you, but actually he wrote letters, didn't he? He wrote stuff to people. Um, it says in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Now, Paul did not have all the communications means that we have today. We, we're just like got an embarrassment of riches when it comes to communicating, haven't we? Uh, but he, read, he wrote letters, and his letters got read in churches around uh, the, eastern, uh, you know, the central eastern world there, around the Mediterranean, I mean, sorry, um, And the letters he writes to his churches, they're brilliant at giving you a view of how he's trying to encourage people to develop in their faith. And this has a practical application for us. You know, you could write a letter. Out of that relationship with that person you're praying for, there's going to come a time where it might be appropriate to write a letter. Letters have become valuable again, haven't they? You know, we live in a digitally flooded world. A handwritten note or a letter is now a special thing again in the way that it used to be. Don't forget that. Or you could still use all of the means that we've got available to us. You can send a text. Hey, a text is great. Hey, just thinking of, you know, sometimes I'll feel a prompting from the Holy Spirit to send someone a text. And I'll say, hey, it just felt like the Spirit prompting me today to send you a text. Everything all right? And the times I've done it, the person's gone, how did you know? And it's because we, we have a God in heaven who tells us stuff and asks us to do things. And it links up in an incredible way. Something that's a personal favorite of mine is to send somebody a prayer on WhatsApp. I love doing that. I keep a prayer journal. I write the prayer out. I dictate it into my phone because nobody can read my handwriting. Uh, and then I send that as both a, a prayer and an image. And they get that in their WhatsApp. 
And to be honest, that's, I feel that I've never ever had anyone say, oh, don't do that. Everybody's gone, oh, wow, you were thinking of me. You prayed for me. That's incredible. Thank you so much. Think about ways you can write, like Paul did, to encourage those people around you, especially those new Christians. That's so powerful. Number five was Paul visited them. These are his five strategies. He visited them. Acts 15, 36 says this. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. He went back to them because they were on his heart. He was in relationship with them. They mattered to him. So discipleship of others is a relationship ongoing, and it has lots of aspects. You give of yourself a bit like you do to your kids. You pray. uh, You send others along. You send written communications, and you go back yourself and you visit. And Paul modeled all of those things uh, in the New Testament really, really well. Let's take a quick look at some of those needs that a newborn Christian has. Okay? The first thing they need is feeding. We know this, don't we? Uh, 1 Peter 2.2 says this. Like newborn babies... Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you can grow up in your salvation. Uh, All babies come into the world with this huge hunger, don't they? Have you noticed that? And if they don't meet that hunger, they start yelling really quickly. They need the basics. And we need to give our new Christians the basics as well, the, the spiritual milk and the easy food. And so that sort of thing is things like how can you feed directly for yourself from God's word? How might you pray? How would you read the Bible? How can you worship? How can you be part of church? These are basic things, and we need to tell uh, these seedling Christians how to do these things. The second thing would be to protect. Oops. Uh, To protect people. Those new Christians need protecting because they've now got a new enemy, haven't they? Um, Who knows that once a person comes to Jesus, the enemy's pretty hacked off about that. Okay. Um, 1 Peter 5 says, uh, 5, 8 says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil will try and take new Christians out where they are just seedlings in the faith. I don't know if you've ever seen those uh, you know, wildlife programs where there's a herd of wildebeest and there's lions waiting in the grass. And there's some little kind of wildebeest calf that's just getting up on its legs. And you're thinking, don't get caught out on your own because that lion's going to get you spiritually, that is kind of what's going on with new Christians. We need to get them in the flock. We need to look after them. We need to protect them, get around them. And that's really important. So we also need to teach them that they can resist the devil and submit to God and the devil will flee from them. And that's a teaching that they need to hear. They really need to hear that. And also another thing too is that new Christians aren't kind of quite aware what they've got themselves into fully, are they? You know, we lead them in a prayer of salvation, but, oh, by the way, You've got a really nasty guy on your case now. Uh, And we need to kind of just point that out. That's only fair. Okay, thirdly, training. If somebody doesn't do this, follow up, um, then it it could go wrong. We've got to train our new Christians. Um, I remember going to an event at a church where they were running an alpha, and we came out after some people had made a commitment to Jesus, and uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses were kind of just standing there hoping to hand out leaflets. And I was just thinking, well, is that... How, why is that so obvious to me? I don't know. I sometimes see these things and go, enemy, what are you doing? You know, get out of our face. Um, but so what happens is there's this resistance almost straight away, and we need to train to get into understanding how to beat that. Uh, and there'll be somebody who'll step into that vacuum if we don't occupy it with good spiritual food. Second uh, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7 says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, 
strengthened in the faith you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. It's all about being built up and strengthened. I want to draw your attention to a couple of great things in your packs. Uh, Leon mentioned this one. This pack has got some great stuff in it. Um, you, you know, after those, there's four lessons near the beginning. Uh, then there's also some uh, lessons on cards, which are just kind of in the middle there. And then there's a guided section where a person can read through John's gospel and tick, there's a reading plan they can tick off each day and they can go through John's gospel. And you could do that with a person who's maybe just come to Christ. Okay? That's one thing that's in there. The other thing that I want to draw your attention to, this orange one, is called, um, so that's Living in Christ, the Gospel of John, the red one. And then this one here is the orange one, and it's called Growing in Christ. And this is great because this takes a person through 10 basic lessons um, about what it means to be a Christian. This would be a great little resource to meet your new Christian over coffee with over 10 weeks, like once a lunchtime or something like that, and go through a section. And what it's got is it's got a verse in, it's got, sorry, it's got a, a subject in there. Uh, let me just take you through those. Uh, Jesus, salvation, assurance, the Bible, prayer, church, etc., etc. There's loads of sections in there, 10 sections. And then it's got six verses that really hit that section well. Uh, and that you can uh, sh- uh, talk a person through, th- uh, through that material and they get a really good understanding. What's really good, though, about the orange booklet is it starts to teach a person right from the beginning how to feed from God's word for themselves. That's really key. So what it does is it says um, you basically get the person to follow the guide and they circle the verses. They underline some key words in those verses. They then look up some definitions for themselves of what those key words are. They then try and rewrite that verse with their own summary, like with using their own words, a paraphrase or a description of what they think it's saying. The last bit is... How do I apply that? How does that work for me in my life? And what you're doing by doing that is you're teaching a person to feed for themselves from God's word. Because later on, when they're reading the Bible for themselves, that's what they're going to do. They're going to understand, well, this is how I extract goodness from God's word. Great resource, uh, that one there. You could use that in a one-to-one discipleship with a new Christian really effectively. I'd really encourage that. Uh, So, where are we? I want to talk just quickly as well about some keys to effective discipleship too. I want to ask you a question. How many people here think that effective discipleship is going to be down to great ability? Just pop your hand up if you feel that you think it might be down to great availability. Oh, you're all a bit wise. This isn't going to work. Okay. Um, What about great availability? Yeah. And why is that? The reason for that is, and and it stands to reason, if we're available, God can provide the ability. And so that also means those people who think they can't do something because they aren't able, you need to drop that. That doesn't work because if you're available, God can take you and use you and you'll find yourself doing things you never ever thought you could do with his strength and with his power and with his guiding. Listen, if the Lord can make a donkey speak then you just need to be available and he will take you and use you. You do not need to be uh, Mr. Talented or Mrs. Wonderful in this area. Okay, so be available. Um, Isaiah chapter 6 is a very famous chapter in the Bible where Isaiah has a vision of the Lord in the temple. And it says this in Isaiah 6 verse 8. It says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, I am here, send me. That's Isaiah's confession in Isaiah chapter 6. But you know, we have this thing sometimes where we, where we sort of say, here I am, send her. 
Or we say, here I am, send them. No, that's not availability, is it? That's really not. It's when we say, here I am, send me, that is real availability. Okay? So that's one little key. One little key for you. Next key, you're going to get this straight away as well. Is it Christ or is it self? Is it Christ or is it self? And there's only two options really in our lives. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or Philippians 2.21, Everybody looks out for his own interests but not for those of Christ Jesus. So two verses, exactly one chapter apart. And the question we have to challenge ourselves is, with is, which, which verse are we standing in? Which verse are we standing in? And so often it becomes about our comfort zone a little bit, doesn't it? You know, we can, I, I think the default for people is to slide back to comfort zone. And you kind of have to push yourself a little bit, don't you? And if you ever struggle with that, you've got to just remember the example of Jesus because he was not someone who slipped back to comfort zone. In fact, he was someone who went miles beyond his comfort zone in his total enthusiasm to come and reach us for God. A total commitment. We're going to watch a video in just a second, and we're not too far from the end. But I want to share a little bit of a time with you. Remember I said to you earlier in my message that I was kind of going on courses, and Chloe came on one of those with me, and then I went on the Alpha course, and then in the end I became a Christian. Well, what those courses I was going on were kind of from a, they were sort of from a new age perspective. They were kind of crossed between management and self-help and if it is to be, it is up to me. You ever heard of that phrase? You know, you kind of do things in your own strength. You push forward and, you, you know, you are the solution to all your own problems. Well, I went on one of these courses. There were the three of them in a sequence in 1998. And the central one was called The Essence. The first one was called Outlook. It was over a weekend. The second one was called Essence. And it was like kind of three days of the week and then the weekend. The final one was called Summit. And you went away in a residential. I ended up doing a fire walk on like coals and stuff like that. It was very new agey. Now, I've repented all of, all of that and moved on. You'll be glad to hear. Okay? But the central course had a process on it called the lifeboat process. And what we, there was 14 of us on this particular instance of the course. And we got in a room, and it's pretty brutal, actually. I remember this to this day. We had to elect three of us in the room that we thought were candidates to, to make the most of our lives to be in the lifeboat in a scenario where a ship was sinking. Quite a brutal process. So we went around the room, and we basically said yes or no to people. And the facilitator, the facilitator did not let us say yes to everybody. That wasn't part of the rules. You couldn't do that. You had to pick three people. And so we went around the room with the facilitator, and we said, Natasha, sorry, no. I, I don't want to save you. you know, like that. And they went to the next person. Sorry, no. I don't, Leon, I don't want to save you. Uh, Mark, I don't want to save you. You know, Chloe, I do want to save you. You know, um, uh, and, so, and so on. So we, we, we went around the room. I know. I said it was brutal. I'm giving you an example. I would save you. Of course, I'd save you all. But the rules were you could only pick three people out of the 14. And it was a pretty horrific experiment, really. But the thing was, I ended up being a person that the people in the room generally thought I would make a lot out of my life, which really surprised me. I really didn't think they would do that. So I ended up as one of three people sitting on three chairs at the front, like, Sobbing, actually, because it was quite a painful experience, and all of them kind of clapping us and stuff. It was a horrible, horrible thing, and I'm so glad I'm out of it. But the point was, their thinking was, you are going to do something with your life in this life, 
And that was their perspective. It was only this life. Now, I haven't kind of asked Chloe's permission to share this, but I'm going to just go ahead and share this anyway. Sorry, Chloe. But she went on the course, and her reaction as a Christian, I wasn't a Christian then, her reaction as a Christian was, I'm happy for other people to be on the lifeboat. Because I know that I'm going somewhere else. I have a heavenly perspective here, and that heavenly perspective allows me to lay down my selfish agenda. It allows other people to go ahead of me because I'm putting myself down, because that is what Jesus has done for me. It was a great thing, and in fact, the, 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 the trainer did not understand when Chloe did that. And actually was almost bordered on abusive. That's great. Come on. That's the course where Chloe came on the course, and then later she invited me on the Alpha. And because she was prepared to do that, I then came on the Alpha. And actually, the irony of it is, I have found the lifeboat, and I'm going to heaven in it. Okay? (laughs) So there we go. I wanted to share that story with you, because we've got a great little film clip now of a guy who was a pastor on board uh, the Titanic. And I want to show you that story. It was April 15, 1912, the year of our Lord, when the HMS Titanic sank beneath the icy waters of the North Atlantic, taking with it 1,517 lives. The largest and most luxurious ship known to man at the time was gone, reminding the world of our frailty as human beings. But there is more to the sinking of the Titanic than a historical tragedy. There is a story of courageous heroism and unshakable faith. John Harper was aboard the Titanic when she set sail from Southampton, England on her maiden voyage. An evangelist, originally from Glasgow, Scotland, he was well known throughout the United Kingdom as a charismatic, passionate speaker who led many to Christ through his gift of preaching. In 1912, Reverend Harper received an invitation to speak at the Moody Church in Chicago, USA. And on April 11, 1912, John Harper boarded the Titanic. The world was captivated with the ship. Widely proclaimed as unsinkable, it was the largest movable object ever built by man at the time. Some of the wealthiest people in the world were aboard. While many of the passengers spoke of business deals, acquisitions, and material desires, John Harper was diligently sharing the love of Christ with others. In the days leading up to the tragedy, survivors reported seeing Harper living like a man of faith, speaking kind words, and sharing the love of Christ. On the evening of April 14th, as passengers danced in the ballroom and tried their luck at the card tables, John Harper put his daughter to bed and read his devotions, as he did every night. At 11.40 p.m., the Titanic struck an iceberg. The unsinkable ship was doomed. Either in disbelief or unaware at the time, passengers continued about their pleasures. It wasn't until the ship's crew sent up a series of distress flares, lighting up the moonless night, that passengers finally realized the seriousness of their situation. Then chaos ensued. It all happened so fast that John Harper could only react. His response left an historic example of courage and faith. Harper awakened his daughter, picked her up, and wrapped her in a blanket before carrying her up to the deck. There he kissed her goodbye and handed her to a crewman who put her into boat number 11. Harper knew he would never see his daughter again, 
and his daughter would be left an orphan at six years of age. Harper then gave his life jacket to a fellow passenger, ending any chance of his survival. While the light of otherworldly ambitions began to flicker and die, John Harper's burned even brighter. As the sounds of terror and mayhem continued, Harper focused on his God-given purpose. Survivors reported seeing him on the upper deck, surrounded by terrified passengers, on his knees, praying for their salvation. At 2.40 a.m., the Titanic disappeared beneath the North Atlantic, leaving a mushroom-like cloud of smoke and steam above her grave, and tragically, over 1,000 people, including Harper, fighting for their lives in the icy water. He managed to find a piece of floating wreckage to hold on to. Quickly, he swam up to every person he could find, urging those about him to put their faith in Jesus Christ. While death forced others to face the folly of their life's pursuits, John Harper's goal of winning men to Jesus Christ became more vital. Soon, John Harper began to succumb to the sea. Even in his last moment, this tireless man of undying faith continued his life pursuit of winning lost souls. I am a survivor of the Titanic. I was one of only six people out of 1,517 to be pulled from the icy waters on that dreadful night. Like the hundreds around me, I found myself struggling in the cold, dark waters of the North Atlantic. The wail of the perishing was ringing in my ears when there floated by me a man who called to me, Is your soul saved? I heard him call out to others as he and everyone around me sank beneath the waters to eternity. There alone in the night, with two miles of water under me, I cried to Christ to save me. I am John Harper's last convert. Harper, as he knew then, would not survive. But his example of undying faith and commitment to the Word of God lives as an example for all to see. In the midst of that desperate assemblage of drowning men, women, and children, he pointed them to the cross, and thus, as he lived, died with that one name upon his lips, Jesus Christ. In many ways, I, I hope and pray that we are spared such a bottom-line scenario ourselves. That's very difficult to go through something like that. Very, very difficult. But if we aren't, the bottom line is, is our soul going to heaven? Are the souls of the people around us going to heaven? That's the bottom line. And if you do ever find yourself in a really, really difficult situation, that's, that's what you focus on. Is your soul going to go to heaven? Let's draw everything together uh, with some final uh, observations from Scripture. We've been touching on this all morning. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who gives you, uh, who asks you, sorry, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6 says this, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor, we dis- nor do we distort the word of God. I just want to encourage you, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Be encouraged this morning. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience 
in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We need to be aware there's somebody against us, and we need to pray him out. For God who said, uh, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. It's God's story, isn't it? All of our lives are his story. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. It's what we talk. This is what we're doing. This is what we preach. It's his message that we're bringing. And last of all, oh, sorry. Don't give up. Don't forget the God of this age. Don't forget the God of creation, whose story it all is. And I'm going to close with uh, this verse here. And we've got one concluding short film to finish off. And then Pastor Mark is going to come and say a few things before we finish. It says, be of good courage. And let us be courageous for our people and the cities of our God for Birmingham and all the cities around the UK. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. Just watch the screen. We've got one more film to show you. I think there's a real need for evangelism. So many Christians, let alone non-believers, don't know necessarily what the gospel is. The younger generation is growing up without Bibles in their homes. That's really a serious thing. We don't see that people really have a hunger for really knowing God, a hunger for the truth. There's people very lost. There's people searching, but they don't know what they're searching for. We live in a day and age where the church has grown apathetic, and we need something to spark the fire. And I can't think of a better tool than to infuse a sense of calling back into the body of Christ From a skeptic's point of view, they wonder, does mass evangelism work? At the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, we do individual evangelism in a mass setting. We don't just show up to the venue and conduct an event. It starts months in advance. One of our first conversation pieces is, let's begin to form a prayer team. Let's acknowledge the priority of prayer right away so that we lay that key groundwork. I Am Andrew is really the heart of the ministry. Andrew invited his brother Simon to meet Jesus. We're asking people in churches to invite their friends to come and attend the event with them. And then through the Christian Life and Witness classes, we hope to give someone the tools to share their faith. And they really began to understand, this is my ministry. This isn't just an event for the community. This is where I have the chance to help impact the people right here, right around me. The training alone that we went through was so helpful. I have skills to share my faith with other people. When we come together at the venue, it's an amazing experience. There's an energy, there's an enthusiasm, there's an excitement. Well, the proclamation of the gospel, this is kind of the pinnacle moment of what we've been preparing for. And then it comes to that point of the message, and you hear everybody just kind of settle in, and it becomes almost a holy hush as people listen to what he has to say. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, from heaven to this earth 
to save you. And he died on that cross and he took our sins to the grave. Franklin just tells it straight. This radical, simple gospel has really helped me, knowing I don't need to come up with a new way to share the gospel. I've just got to pray and preach the gospel straight. Tonight, I can tell you right now, God will forgive you. If you're willing to confess your sins to God and ask for His forgiveness and receive His salvation. And if you have never done that, I want you to do that right now. Wherever you are, just get up out of your seat and come stand right down here. So I came up and asked God for forgiveness. And right after that, it was just like tears of joy and happiness that I felt that God forgave me for my sins. It was tangible. God's presence was, was you could feel him right there next to you. I gave my life about literally 10 minutes ago to the Lord Jesus. And as a weight was lifted off my shoulders, I felt twice as better. I felt like a new man. I was invited here by a friend. I wanted to repent of my sins, so I did go forward. The huge burden was lifted. I'm a whole new person. Now we have hundreds, thousands, new believers. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association is very committed to making sure that follow-up happens. We continue to work with pastors for weeks and months, making sure that people are becoming involved in the life of a church. Since coming to the Franklin Graham tour, we've seen a city get impacted by the gospel. We saw incredible planning, and we saw great follow-up, and we saw unity in the body of Christ, and the effects afterwards just have continued to spur us on. My heart is full, you know, and I am just so grateful for what God's done. This isn't the end, this is just the beginning. It's all about bringing the church together to be about the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ so that Jesus' name is proclaimed all around the globe. That's why we do what we do, and that's what it's all about. Just stand with us just for a moment. Morgan is going to come and just say some practical things, but just for a moment. Guys, I just need you to know something. That we're in a battle about this. And just for these last few minutes, I just want you to pray protection on Morgan and the team love them we want to say welcome to our city hey listen, listen let me listen to you I just want you to really hear something whatever you hear on the press whatever you hear in the media as far as Birmingham is concerned June the 17th is going to happen okay now if I, I don't think Mr. Graham is going to be banned or whatever or all the rest of it But as for me and my house and this house, we're going to make sure the gospel goes out. Okay? So, what I want you to do is that I'll be joining with the other pastors and if we have to, we'll open up our churches and we'll do it by video, whatever. I mean, Devington's a great preacher. He can preach the gospel. Whatever happens, we are going to hold an event on June the 17th. So whatever you hear on the media, 
Whatever you hear on the BBC, whatever you hear on the local news, whatever's printed in Birmingham Mail, I want you to know that on June the 17th, we're drawing a line and we are going to preach the gospel. Okay? So, and that's what we as pastors, we're committed to, aren't we, Pastor Debbington? We are. So, so we want you to know, Morgan, that this will happen. Okay? In whatever form it happens, it's going to happen. So, your responsibility is, you go through this pack, you read everything in it, you study your scriptures, you memorize it, you go through the red book, you take those lessons so that you have had several months of discipleship. In our church, we're going to do, so, uh, do about two I Am Andrew services so that, so that leading up to that event. So, can you just, just hear me? I, I'm not going to turn to the neighbor thing, and, and even though I can because Kathy's not here. But I'm going to say to you one more time before the Lord, we are going to have a gospel event in Birmingham. Okay? Now, it's okay me saying it, but right now we need to pray into it. Okay, so you just lift your hands with me and you just pray protection and life. We know the enemy's rattled. We just pray in the name of Jesus right now. Lord God, we pray that in the name of Jesus that your word will go forth in our city, that we will see a harvest, Lord. Lord, we just pray for the mobilization of your church and the unity of your church. We pray in the name of Jesus that you will do great things through us. Father, we have prayed and we prayed again and we're praying now in the name of Jesus Christ. We rebuke you, Satan. You have no part in your place. For those things that we brought on ourselves, God, we ask for your grace. But Lord, for those things that are from the enemy, in the name of Jesus now, we stand against you. And in Jesus' name we declare that we will be a gospel-preaching church. And Lord, we pray for our churches throughout this city, that in the name of Jesus, we may indeed declare your word with clarity, humility, sincerity, and with great power. Holy Spirit, fill this place Lord we worship you we worship you we worship you sing together how great the chasm that lay